0: begin with something else while you kind of kind of put together some questions in your mind father we are grateful for this morning and for this day and for the weather for the freedom and ability to gather together as your people to worship you and to teach and to learn and to have our minds and hearts exposed to your word we pray that through our time and through the effort that we put forward here that we would be further conformed to the image of christ that you'd sanctify us by your word for your glory's sake and that you would edify and equip your people today and May all that is done, the worship, and all that we partake of today be honoring and pleasing to you as we seek to lift your name high and to glorify you in our actions and our conduct, having given this day to you. We ask now your blessing upon our time, our presence here, and um, our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin by giving you a chance to kind of be thinking through some questions if you have any. There was a news story that hit the news this last week that I want to offer a few observations and comments on, and this caught my attention for a number of reasons, and I think that this is going to be a news story that is going to be worth following for the next six months, and seeing how this unfolds and what happens, and I think that come fall, this is going to be something that is probably going to receive a lot of attention. You are all familiar with John Piper, I'm assuming, Desiring God Ministries, um, has a uh, big church back in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I think it is, great guy, he's one of the good guys, um, a great man. A, um, a passion for the gospel, a wonderful ministry. And I've said before, I think that John Piper is probably the deepest, the most profound Christian thinker on the scene today. I think John Piper writes at a level that only the dead guys ever wrote at. I don't know of anybody else alive today that writes and thinks on the level that John Piper does. A brilliant man. This last week it was announced, and I'm not talking about a sabbatical that he's taken for eight months, it's some different. This last week, he announced that he has invited Rick Warren to come and give an address at his Desiring God conference this fall. Now, yeah, I know some of you are, that's what I, I did too. My jaw hit the floor. I had to pick my teeth up and put them back in my mouth when I heard that. I was shocked, and so, and, and I'll leave this to you. Do Do two things. Go online, if you have a high-speed connection, go online and just Google Rick Warren, John Piper, and he has two videos, about 15 minutes total between the two of them. Two video clips where he is explaining and giving his reasoning and his justification for inviting Rick Warren to give the keynote address. So I'm going to quickly give it to you and then I'm going to quickly give you my thoughts and my response. This is John Piper's reasoning. Piper said in one of the videos, he said, I believe that at heart Rick Warren is not a pragmatist. By pragmatist, we mean somebody who thinks that the end justifies the means. We're able to do We do what we do because we're getting results out of it. So if you have results, then it must be an an indication that what you're doing is right. Piper said, I believe that John uh, Rick Warren, at heart, is not a pragmatist. I believe he has certain theological convictions and a commitment to Reformed theology that is similar to mine. (laughs) My teeth hit the floor again. because, And he said, and this is what Piper said in a video, I believe that Rick Warren is closer to a Calvinistic understanding of Reformed doctrines than he is to the Arminian side. So in his video, he said, I asked Rick Warren to come, and in my letter to Rick Warren, I told Rick Warren, you are today the most well-known pragmatic pastor in the country, and I don't believe at heart that you are a pragmatist. I believe at heart you have certain theological convictions. So I want you to come to the conference in the fall that we're hosting and explain how it is that you, Rick Warren, justify your practice, considering what I believe that you believe at heart. In other words, with your theology, your commitment to certain theological positions, how is it that you justify such pragmatic practices that you do in the seeker-driven, seeker-centered church movement? That was Piper's reasoning. That was his reason for inviting Rick Warren. Now, in that, Piper is obviously sort of distancing himself from Rick Warren, but at the same time, he is joining hands with with Rick Warren in a way that I'm not sure is profitable. So do this on your own time, for your own consideration. Go watch the two videos that Piper gives, and he explains in about 15 minutes explanation for why he invited Rick Warren to the Desiring God conference. And then go to pyromaniacs.blogspot.com. It's the, It's the blog, one of the only two blogs. The other one I check is Thomas, just to make sure that he's still sane. It's one of the only two blogs that I check online on any kind of regular basis. And it's written, the blog is moderated and written by Phil Johnson, who's the executive director of Grace to You. He's an elder at Grace Community Church, John MacArthur's church. One of the finest blogs, one of the finest web logs that I've ever seen or read. I enjoy it thoroughly. Phil Johnson has a rather lengthy treatment and a rather lengthy discussion of his perspective on what Piper has done. Now, this, I think, is going to be an interesting thing to watch because already you have John Piper being savagely um, just torn up on... On the web, people are saying we need to boycott his publishers, boycott his ministry, boycott everything Piper does, and I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that that's right. I think Piper is a good, solid guy. I I can't quite make the connect the dots that he has that would allow him to invite Rick Warren to his Desiring God conference, but I can understand why he's doing it. Those are my thoughts. Now, what should our response be? I think we should remember John Piper is one of the good guys, so let's not overreact to it. Just see how it plays out. It's an interesting news story. I think one of the more interesting ones to watch over the course of the next six months. Especially if all else you have to watch has to do with health care, in which case reading something somewhat edifying might be helpful. Those are my thoughts. Any questions or comments about that? And then we'll start taking some questions. Brian. From what John Piper said, the question is, what was John Piper's main reason for inviting Rick Warren to the conference? From what he said on the video, his main reason is because he believes that Rick Warren is closer to his Reformed theology than he is to Arminian theology. And so knowing that, he is not prepared to push Rick Warren away and to separate from Rick Warren because he believes that Rick Warren is at heart uh, a four-point Calvinist, is what he would say. And he believes that Rick Warren is at heart Reformed and not Arminian. I don't think... No, John Piper's words were he wants Rick Warren to put all of his cards out on the table. Explain to us how somebody with your presumed theological convictions can practice church and evangelism and church growth the way that you do. Connect the dots. Lay your cards out on the table. Explain to our people. Explain to your Reformed brethren how that connection is possible in your mind. Explain his method of ministry. Explain how it comports with his supposed theological convictions. And John Piper knows that Rick a view of yes, because Piper in one of the videos said, Rick Warren said, I'm not quite a five-point Calvinist. I would embrace all of them except limited atonement. And Piper said, give me 30 minutes and I'll convince you on limited atonement. That was his, that was his approach to it. So he said, I'm hoping to get the 30 minutes with Rick Warren. Now, whether Rick Warren be- accepts limited atonement or not is irrelevant to me in the discussion entirely. But from Piper's perspective, Warren is soundly within the reformed camp. Um, Hold on, Carol had one first, and then Judy, and then Katie. That doesn't make sense. Why would somebody that believes this teach all these people the wrong thing? That's That's what Piper is supposedly, that's what Piper is inviting Rick Warren to explain. Explain to me how you practice this if this is your given theological stance. How do these two comport in your mind? Yeah, I think that that address by Rick Warren at the Desiring God conference is probably going to be one of the most listened to addresses of the year, because everybody on both sides of the aisle is going to want to be hearing what he has to say and how he says it. I'm certainly going to want to hear it. What uh, was that? Well, desiringgod.com or .org is Piper's ministry, desiringgod.org. You can Google John Piper, Rick Warren, and you'll come up with probably two YouTube videos that are posted on YouTube that you can watch. And then the other blog that I recommend that you go uh, is Phil Johnson's blog at pyromaniacs. P-Y-R-O-Maniacs.com. If you just Google pyromaniacs, you'll come up with his blog. And it was posted, I think, on Friday was the day it was posted. So you'll have to scroll down a little bit to get that. But you'll see it. It was written by Phil Johnson. Phil put some pee on. What's that? Phil put a little bit of pee on. Uh, g- good question. Let me answer um, Judy's first and then Katie's and then I'll come back to that. J- Judy. Hey. Uh, how do I feel about Rick Warren? No, this is I, I I'm hesitating because I'm not quite sure yet. Here's my assessment. Here was my assessment of Rick Warren five years ago. I think he was an evangelical, but he was wrong. Fifteen years ago, I would have said I like you, Rick Warren. I think he's an evangelical. I think he's right on most things, and I appreciate his purpose-driven church move- movement. I think it's great. I think he's wrong on just a few little things, but I, I don't really have anything to object to. Five years ago, I would have said, I think he's an evangelical, I think he's a Christian, but I think he's wrong on a lot of stuff, including the purpose-driven church movement and the whole purpose and all of that. Uh, today, I would say this. When it comes to Rick Warren, I don't know. I think he's been given the benefit of the doubt, but it, the more people give him the benefit of the doubt, the more reason he gives me to doubt. And he has whiffed it so badly on the gospel and the gospel presentation on so many big venues, um, on Easter Sunday, they had a, they packed out, tried to pack out Angel Stadium for the Easter service, the, the Saddleback Church Easter service. They wanted to get 45,000 people in that stadium to pack out Angel Stadium, and it was uh, not quite sold out. They had the Jonas Brothers come in and sing a love song that had been sung to a woman, on, a Dis- on the Disney Channel, they sang a love song, which it's one of those evangelical songs where you could say, is he talking about his girlfriend or is he talking about God? It was the I need to know you, I need to love you, I need to feel love, please hold my hand, all of that stuff. That was what they sang. So his I've seen him on Glenn Beck. I've seen him on Hannity and Combs. I've seen him on Hannity. I've watched him on Larry King. I have yet to see him be served up a softball, what is the gospel, and see him hit it out of the park accurately. He has whiffed it so many times that I'm starting to wonder if he even knows how to present the gospel accurately. That's my concern. Now, whether, and on top of that is the whole, this whole shift in Christian thinking that says the gospel is about feeding the poor, helping the sick, um, clothing the homeless and all of this stuff. It's becoming a very socialized gospel in those circles. And that I think is partly the influence of the emergent church movement. But there is this idea that we are to bring in the kingdom by I mean, he has this peace plan, Rick Warren's peace plan. You've heard about that. It has to do with feeding people and teaching people and all of those things. All of those things are good, but they're not the gospel. All of those things, yes, we do. We do feed the hungry. We do clothe the poor. We do take care of widows. We do do those things, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is something else. And it seems that the gospel now, in those circles, particularly in Rick Warren's circle, is being clouded. On top of that is my concern that there is this huge push, and he seems to be at the forefront of it, to ignore all of the differences that we have with Muslims and Catholics and people, even atheists, in order to accomplish this end of feeding the sick and, and feeding the hungry and taking care of people. This big, give a big hug to the Muslims and let's pretend that you're not idolaters and let's accomplish a good end, I don't think is healthy. And I don't think it's healthy because this, I think that the glory of God is at stake. And so if we have a question, we have an opportunity, And we have two choices. We can not have anything to do with those people and the, and the, and the hungry go without food, or we can join forces with those people and feed the hungry. Which do you think that we should choose? Well, yeah. But see, this is, this is the dichotomy that they're saying. We need to accomplish this, so we need to join forces with the Muslims. And I'm saying that it's, it's the glory of God that is at stake. And when you compromise truth, No matter what the end is, you are sacrificing the glory of God. And I think God's name is besmirched. And I think that that is a higher crime than not feeding the hungry. That sounds cruel. But to besmirch the glory of God's name and to confuse people concerning issues of truth is a higher crime than leaving the poor neglected. I think you can feed the poor, but I don't think you should have anything to do with Muslims. So this whole... What's that? Thank you. The, this whole push, I think, toward this ecumenical stance concerning Islam is not healthy. I think it's confusing people, leading people down a dangerous trend. So where, how do I feel about Rick Warren today? I have certainly made a massive shift. I'm not ready to call him a heretic. I think that in five to ten years, I think we will all know. Because if this trend continues, and it's not a healthy trend, if this trend continues, he's either going to stop and he's going to start heading back toward orthodoxy, or he's going to continue into this slide. If he continues into this slide, then I think five years from now, we will be able to say he is as much of a heretic as Brian McLaren, Tony Campolo, uh, Tony Jones, and any one of these other very emergent, very liberal guys. I really, I think he has a tremendous amount of influence, and I would love to see him use that influence on a national stage to defend the gospel, and I have yet to see it. That's my concern. I have yet to see that. He's doing a lot of great things. But I would love for the gospel to become central again and to see him actually articulate it. Katie was next. We're just stacking up questions here. Go ahead. That That is a good question. Why is John Piper doing this? I think that John Piper's answer would be, from what I've read and from what I've watched him explain, his answer would be, and I'm trying to be fair to John Piper, Rick Warren and I agree on far more than we disagree. And John Piper would say, I'm not willing to say he's not a brother. Right now, I think that we should embrace him and join forces with him at this point. That's well. It might be an opportunity for him to expose himself. That, that's what I'm. That's what my and what Brian just said. It's this is what Piper said. Come and lay all your cards on the table, and I think that that is a good thing. He's giving him a national forum. Come and explain to us how you do, why you do what you do, given your theological convictions. And I think that that's fair. And and Piper is not overtly endorsing his position. He's saying, I disagree with your position, but since I call you a brother, come and explain your position. And I think that that's fair. Now, if I were John Piper, would I do that? And I would say, no, I wouldn't. I don't think I could. I'm not, I can't make the, I can't make that connection. I can see where Piper's going. I can be sympathetic to it to a point, but I don't think I could make that jump myself. In fact, I'm certain I wouldn't be able to make that jump myself. Uh, Brian, you had a question first, then we'll go over here. Was it a bit ago? I, I, so I have very, I have very stated and very serious concerns with Rick Warren, but I'm not right now prepared to say he's an apostate or a, false teacher, or a heretic. I think there are things there that... What's that? I think it will be. I think good things will come out of this. Um, I would love to be the guy that follows up Rick Warren at the Desiring God conference. I would love to be the guy who speaks right after that. (laughs) So, um, Lynn. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to seeing the One World Church... You know, I don't think that any one person is going to be instrumental in bringing that to pass, whether it's Joel Osteen or Rick Warren or the emergent church leaders bring to pass a one word, a one world church. Um, we're already, we have been heading that way and we've been close. We've been on the brink of that for since the late 1950s with the social gospel movement. So I, I don't know, I don't know what is going to determine whether Piper or, um, whether Rick Warren is successful or a failure at the Desiring God conference. And that's what everybody's going to be waiting to see. Not only what does Rick Warren say, but then how does this entire community of reformed evangelicals, gospel-loving evangelicals that sort of gravitate around guys like Piper and John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul, how, do, how does that whole community respond to what Warren said? Uh, it will be available probably online for free. Nearly everything that John Piper has ever preached is available at his website for free. The same thing with MacArthur, same thing with Phil Johnson. Almost everything and Alistair Begg, all those good guys are going that direction. Everything that they've said or written is all available online now for free. So it, it will be on it will be available online. And I think the Desiring God conference is in it's either September or October, I think, is when that comes out. Uh, was there somebody over here that had a question? Thomas, did you have one or it was Steve? Okay. The question is, in donating to the food bank, are we, and that, that is probably being donated to by Catholics, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, rank atheists, liberals, New Agers, all kinds of people like that. Are we not partnering with those people in order to solve the problem? Um, I would say no more so than opposing abortion is partnering with Muslims and Mormons and Catholics who also oppose abortion. Um, there's a difference between linking arms and saying, we're going to ignore our differences and present a united front, I think that confuses the issue of truth and distinction between truth and error. That is different than being a co-belligerent with somebody and saying to Islam, which, look, to be honest with you, I don't think Islam is is concerned about feeding the poor. Who really thinks Muslims are concerned about feeding the poor? They're not. The poorest, most food-deprived nations on the planet are Muslim nations. They're not interested in taking care of the poor. Well, yeah, that's true. But as a whole, I mean, you're linking arms with Islam as a whole to say we're going to accomplish this good. I've met atheists who are more concerned with the poor than Christians that I've met. But that doesn't mean that I can say of the atheists, look, we're just going to ignore our differences unless President of the United I'll pretend that you and I worship the same God or that you and I believe more, agree on more than we disagree on in order to accomplish that. That's what I'm saying the danger, yeah, that's what I'm saying it is. There, just recently there was the, um, was it the Manhattan Declaration that came out? A bunch of evangelicals signed that, a bunch of evangelicals didn't. And the event, the, and I didn't read the Manhattan Declaration, but I know that uh, guys like John MacArthur and uh, Phil Johnson and Alistair Begg They did not sign the Manhattan Declaration because they said the gospel was not clearly defined in the document. And guys like Os Guinness and um, Rick Warren and from the Emergent Church, Tony Campolo, those guys signed the Manhattan Declaration. And there were some good, solid evangelicals that I was shocked to hear had signed the document. They signed it because they said, we can agree on these things. But the other evangelicals said, but the gospel is not clearly enough defined. We didn't, ex- we didn't explain in the document what it ex- is that we're really all about. And I think that this, this movement with Warren and others is a movement to do away with these theological distinctions and embrace people that we really don't have anything in common with for reasons that I don't think justify that at all. I think that when you link arms and you can, when you cloud the issue of truth, I think it is one of the highest crimes in the universe to cloud the issue of truth. I think is something so serious, so severe that when we do things that minimizes and blurs those lines so that a lost and dying world cannot tell the difference, I think that we are doing far more harm than good in that. And I think it's an indictment on evangelical Christianity, um, and I would just say on American Christianity that we are not, because I don't think it's worldwide, on American or Western Christianity it's an indictment to us that we're not more active in doing these things. I believe we should help the sick. We should help widows. We should visit orphans. We should visit those in prison. We should be doing these things. These are all legitimate good Christian ministries. These are the expressions of what the gospel has done in our lives, but they're not the gospel. Doing these things is not what the gospel is about. And that's what's being, that's what's being clouded. I think that using, um, using a means like the food bank is, I think, entirely legitimate. Because what we are doing is we are contributing or giving to our community. And we're doing so basically anonymously, and we're allowing them to distribute things that we have in surplus, and I think that that's fine. We are not joining forces with them in the sense of aligning or stepping lockstep with them arm in arm and pretending that they're a Christian organization when they're not. We all know that they're a Christian organization. Nobody assumes the food bank is a Christian organization. Um, we can use the things, the means of this world um, to accomplish an end so long as that distinction between what is Christian and what is not Christian is clearly made. In a, in a make-believe world, and, this, and I admit this is entirely make-believe, just let your imagination run wild, in a make-believe world where my sermons were on the radio, and we were to put these on KPND or KSBT, the local radio station, for a half hour on Sunday mornings, would that, would us using a non-Christian radio station, be an issue of clouding the gospel? No, it's not at all. Right at front of the Areopagus, and and that is why. I mean, I would go on Hannity and Combs, I'd go on Glenn Beck, I would go on any any program or any venue I could if I could explain the gospel. I don't. I would go and preach for the Pope as long as he didn't tell me what to say. I would go into the Vatican and preach, as long as the Pope didn't tell me what to say. So I don't, any venue, any venue to get the gospel out, I don't object to it. Or any venue to do good, I don't object to it. But there is a difference, between there. there is a way of doing it that starts to cloud the issue of truth, and who God is, and what the gospel is. And I think that we need to be careful in doing those things for the sake of the truth. Now, if the food bank said, with along with food, we are going to give a free copy of Christopher Hitchens' book, um, God is Not Great, and we're also going to uh, give away all of this Muslim literature to promote the Muslim worldview, then what do you think our response would be? We're done. We're done. Not a not a grain of rice from anybody at Kootenai Community Church, at least officially from as a church. Yeah. I think that that's a good word, and there was something the Piper said in the second video. Um, he said, "Now there are people out there who will immediately separate from me because I haven't separated from Rick Warren. He said that's an issue. It's what's called secondary separation. You separate from somebody who hasn't separated from somebody that you separate with or separate from. And he said whether you're going to separate from me because I haven't separated from Rick Warren, he said I'll leave that up to each of you to work out with the Lord. And I think that that was fair, but I'm I'm certainly not willing to separate from John Piper because he is not separating from Rick Warren. John Piper might separate from Rick Warren after the conference is over. That might be the case, but right now he hasn't. Now, I disagree with Piper's assessment of where Rick Warren is at, but John Piper is one of the good guys. And uh, as it is right now, I'm not prepared to say that Rick Warren is a heretic. I think he's gravely mistaken. I think he's far too pragmatic. If he were theological in his convictions, where he claims to be, there would be no problem with him. But he's not, and that gives me pause, reason for concern. But I don't think that the right Christian response is to sin by attacking Piper, and attacking Desiring God, and attacking guys who would do what Piper is doing. I think that that's a wrong response. I think it's over the top. I Uh, The only, and I didn't mean to take up the whole time with this, actually. I just wanted to throw this out, get you thinking about it, and move on to Lanny's question. We we haven't even got to Lanny's question yet. But I'm I'm just, I'm making you aware of it, giving you a couple of resources, and I'm just saying this. Just watch, watch the news stories, see how this unfolds. It's going to be a very interesting thing. I'm going to be watching it closely. I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's going to be worth having some table talk over uh, at some point as all of this unfolds. It'll be, I I think it's going to make me very curious. Thomas, that's, that's good. And I hope that I, hope that I haven't seemed overly uh, attacking on either Piper or Warren. I think no, I that... I think you've given a very good example of... Okay, good. My, my hope always, every time I see Rick Warren, my hope is that, okay, he's going he's gonna to hit it out of the park this time. And I'm, I'm just, I'm disappointed. And I always walk away disappointed. I just think, oh, what? I just expect so much more, and I wish he would deliver so much more. And that's my concern with him. And I will say concerning John John Piper, um, when it comes to disagreeing with guys like MacArthur or Piper, R.C. Sproul, I do so with great fear and trepidation because these guys are out of my league entirely. I, I'm not even on the totem pole of spiritual greatness. I cannot even see the bottom, let alone John Piper, who's somewhere up toward the top. So when I say that I disagree with John Piper on that, I is with great fear and trepidation, I have a tremendous amount of respect and love for John Piper. He is a profound, profoundly spiritual and deep and godly man in a very profound sense. If he were here right now, he would say, please don't say that. He would. I know he would. That's what makes him great. Yeah. I think separation is good, and I've had to separate from groups that I disagree with in the past, and I explain why that is, and I try to do so in a loving and gentle way. And I take it very seriously, and, and I try not to make it um, a big public thing where I attack the other side. And in preaching and teaching, a lot of times I will critique error, and I will do so, I think, in a very straightforward and very aggressive format. And I do that particularly in preaching or in writing. And I think that that's fine, and I think that it's good. Um, as long as you're not attacking the individual and you're attacking the belief or the practice or the philosophy or the theology behind it, um, I think it's fine to attack error. And I point out error, I think is good. It's biblical. It's what Paul did. But I think it needs to be done in the spirit of love and gentleness that Paul modeled. And that, that I think is always a difficult, a difficult balance to walk because typically people who love truth and see things very clearly as black and white are, do not have the gift of compassion. And the people who have the gift of compassion, typically are not the same people who see things very clearly in black and white. The gift of discernment and the gift of compassion do not are seldom mixed in the same individual. And so I know what my strengths are and I know what my weaknesses are, and I try and walk very carefully with my weaknesses because compassion for people in error is not my spiritual gift. I can see error immediately. I can critique it. That I can do very quickly and very easily, but it's I work on the compassionate part of it. Some people, I think, are able to do that, and some people are not able to do that. I think each each individual is, is different. Some people are able to to simply let stuff roll off their back, like water off a duck's back, and it doesn't bother them. You can say whatever you want about their theology, and they're not going to care. That's kind of the way I am. Um, I could sit and have somebody mock everything I can believe, and I could walk out and ignore it and sleep fine that night without a problem. And I'll worry about it. Other people don't. You say one slight thing about what they've always believed is true, and you criticize it ever so slightly or even cast the suspicion that you might not agree and they can't sleep for weeks over that because they take it as a personal attack. And there's people between both sides of that, that spectrum. And I think you can say, you can speak the truth in love and do so in a loving way. And if, if you've done that to the best of your ability, then it's not, it's not up, it's not on you if the individual who hears it is offended. <clears throat> uh, any other questions or comments? Oh yeah, Jen. No, I'm not going to. I will be listening online for free. Saves me the airfare and the lodging and all the meals and all that good stuff. I believe it is in Minneapolis. They do it every year. They always have a theme, and it's always good. It's always good stuff. Uh, read, real quick, read Phil Johnson's blog. And he. I think it was there that I read of the different people that Piper has invited in the past that have kind of created little stirs. And he has always had a reason for inviting them, and it seems like every year he invites someone where somebody says, mm, "I don't know, we'll see how this flashes out." But this invitation, of course, has just is a bombshell. Other ones where he's not quite on the same page, but he will invite them to come and present their their perspective, and um, they don't necessarily agree with him on that. But uh, this one here is the one that's really caused us a a, a ruckus for obvious reasons. Al? Oh, thank you. I was hoping that we would have time to get into a passage of scripture that somebody have a question about and kind of do some study and everything, but sometimes it's profitable, I think, to try and think through a current event from a Christian perspective and wrestle through these issues in our mind and um, begin to try and think Christianly about some of the things that we see going on in the news, and hopefully this was profitable for you to that end. Um, stay gracious, follow the story, see how it fleshes out, and enjoy some table talk with your family. So let's pray and we'll get out of here at a, at a right time. <coughs> Father, we are thankful for your grace to us in all of these things and that you have given us your word, which is clear on these things. We thank you for the great men like John Piper, John MacArthur, and others who have taken such strong and public stands for the gospel and for what you have accomplished through them and their ministries. We do pray for John Piper, for his ministry, for his sabbatical in these coming months as he takes some time off. We pray for a good rest for him, and also, Lord, that you would protect him and continue to feed him and encourage him. We pray for uh, your will to be done in all that is happening with the Desiring God Conference. It will be interesting for us to see what happens, and we pray that through all of this, that you would make the truth clearer and error clearer to our hearts and our minds and to all of your people, uh, that we may be able to rightly discern and assess these things. Give us wisdom, give us love and truth tempered with that love, and we pray that we would respond to these things in a way that is meaningful, appropriate, and glorifying to you, so that you might be pleased with us as your people, and that you might be glorified through us. We ask your blessing now on our time to follow in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kutni Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kutni Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting org.